Another off day for the Toronto Maple Leafs. And another one coming out tomorrow. You guys ever do anything? So they play Monday. Don't play till Friday. This has got to be the longest stretch during a week that they'll ever go. It's, Just, I imagine it's really inconvenient for people with Toronto Maple Leaf shows. <laughs> <laughs> Just a guess. We weren't short of topics yesterday. No, we were not light. We got some spillover into t- today, fortunately. And you would think the other day there'd be a, a maybe a little bit of calmness amongst the players. Sure. I didn't get that sense from Mitch Marner. I didn't get the sense yeah. that without a game till Friday that uh, he wanted to have a little fun with the media, engage with them a little bit. Uh-uh. I don't think they're ever going to be friends again I, in I'm, the media. I, I'm not sure I can I can blame him. With, with everything that he's gone through off the ice, mm-hmm. social media, even the articles that get written on him, and we've had this conversation. I wrote one today. You, you've got, okay, we'll discuss it. Uh, <laughs> but here's Mitch Marner on an off day and his reaction to a question that he really didn't have any interest in getting into. How do you make the chances fall out of you? For myself? Uh, hopefully the puck goes in. Passes the goal line. Okay, but how does that happen? Because if you're being paid to be a difference maker, how does that happen? Yeah. Goes in. Uh, get around the net. The chances are coming, so you know, I've got to stay patient with nothing. Uh, don't want to force anything. Stay patient with the puck like I've been doing. Chances will come. I, I love that. I have no idea who asked him that question. Was it Steve Simmons? I don't know. I don't know. All I know is Mitch basically said to him, the object of the game <laughs> is for this little black disc yeah. to cross the goal line. That made me uncomfortable. And that's what I'm trying to do. Any questions? <laughs> Honestly, though, that makes me super uncomfortable. Like, it's fair to ask those questions and to put guy, you know, hold guys' feet to the fire. That's what media are supposed to do. We uh, give them a hard time when they, uh, you know, throw softballs. Supposed to ask those things, but God, there's already such a contentious relationship with Marner. It's n- it's not going to change. He's he's really made it crystal clear that. I'm here to play hockey, and at the end of the day, I'm not going to get a fair shake anyways. There, I'll, I'll continue to get beat up either through uh, mainstream media or, or social media, but I'm, I'm not engaging any longer, and he's, it's, it's all about his game, and it's all about what happens to the Toronto Maple Leafs. Yeah. Where are you on the stance of, like, if you get paid so much money, you are obligated to give of yourself to the media. Like he obviously, he fulfills the obligations. He does the interviews, but he's not doing the interviews. Well, which do you believe, do you think it's like, like I hear people say he makes $11 million. He should have to, you know, if, if, if Mitch was playing crap, then I get it. Is he playing about as well as a guy can play without producing points? He is. Okay, so what's with the question? What what is with the, I want to get, he is looking for a reaction out of him. He's looking for a sound bite that, and Mitch ain't playing ball. Mm -hmm. He's not playing ball. It's, have you been watching? Is Is there anything more humanly possible to do in this game of hockey and still not produce? 
It's it's no. I mean, so, so really, no. Why why are you grinding my gears? <laughs> because you can, mm-hmm. and because you choose to. But if he's not playing well, then you can ask about maybe the pressure of making so much money and underperforming. But the underperforming comes only on a on a stat sheet that isn't there. As yeah. far as the work and the commitment and the creativity, I think we're all in agreement that he he's doing his job. Yeah. You know, it's not like there's nothing I'd rather see him do differently. Part of uh, my article uh, touches on the fact that I just like to see him stop taking shots from distance. They ain't going in. I, you know, we had this whole revolution this summer, right? Mitchie's going to be a shooter. Now he's going to learn to shoot and he's going to, you know, it's going to make him more effective as a passer. It's just a waste of time. So, you know, while there's things I'd like him to do differently, I get your point. It sucks that there has to be an obligation on the media's part to like pussyfoot around questions, be like, you're doing really great. And I still think you're great, but like, what do you, you know, what do you need to do to make it go in the net? Like, how do you do it in a way that doesn't upset him? But I think it's, it's and he ha- said it, I'm trying to pass the puck over the goal line. Right. <laughs> that. I just feel like the, who, whichever media member that was felt like they were done with the whole charade of like, Oh, Mitch, he doesn't like the media. We better soft shoe this. Like he just asked him the question. I guess it's not overly aggressive. It's clear that Mitch knows that whatever he does or whatever he says, it can't, won't, can't win it, it, it won't matter. What will ultimately be the decision maker in all of this is if we win yeah. and if we advance and we, I can finally live up to the 10.9 because yeah. that's essentially what it feels like. And I hate to say it, I hate to say it, but worst case scenario that they make the playoffs and lose in the first round. In seven. (laughs) It's almost as if he feels like this is go big or go home. In terms of how to handle the media and how to play it out this year? No, his future is a Toronto Maple Leaf. Do you think if it went poorly, he would leave or want out? I, I could see him wanting out. Yeah. Another year of this, another year of not advancing past the first round. Would you want to? Would you want to take on another year of that tor- uh, that type of uh, scrutiny, abuse, whatever you want to call it? If you didn't believe in the direction, so like two years ago, I made a comment in the media, and I think we already talked about this on the show, where I, I just said. Um, you know, I was asked if I thought Connor McDavid wanted a, wanted out of Edmonton and it was right when they missed the playoffs. It was like the game after he did an interview where he was just sick of it. He was exasperated. And I remember thinking to myself when I was asked the question, like, I bet when he goes home at night, he's like, God, if I could just snap my fingers without the drama and be somewhere else. I would do it. And I said, I, I think he probably does. That's my honest opinion. I think he probably would like that. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I don't think there's anything wrong with saying if Mitch, he's not having that much fun. If it happened again, he was still miserable that he would want to be somewhere else. I don't think that's not like he's going to be. I don't think anyone wants to take on $11 million salary for one, but it's just, you know, we as humans sometimes get frustrated in our walks of life and wish they were different. Let's bring in a super fan. We're, we're crushing them by the way. We're, we just did Matthews to Arizona. Now we're doing Marner well, getting sick of it. They are conversations that you have to almost have yeah. because 
there is that possibility. It's not a long shot in a very competitive East now that if there, there's a lot of ifs. And if the, if the Leafs don't do well, if they by chance miss the playoffs or, or lose in the first round, we've, we, we're doing the ifs this year. Sure. That is, that's, Jack that's, Eichel was forever till he wasn't. It's it's real. It's Leaf Nation now going, where is this headed? And where, like, where is it going? If I ask you if you think that's going to happen, I bet the answer is no. Like, that's not the most likely outcome. It is just one of the things that shapes how you need to the win now pressure. Sammy. You heard that. You heard Mitch Marner's response to the the question. Yeah. What? Uh, where is this? Where is this heading for him? Is this just to the point where one word answers and let let his play do the speaking? I I would say about Mitch Marner in terms of his prowess in the media, I wouldn't say he's ever really been that warm from even from his rookie year and on. Like I, you know, doing the Leafs Nation post game stuff, I've listened to a lot of Mitch Marner availabilities and I've listened to a lot of him in the media and I've heard a lot of stuff from him and he just never ever seems like he likes it and he really seems like it's kind of it's it's a real job for him to do it unlike Matthews who just kind of rolls off his back so I don't know I I think every day going out there and talking about how the puck's not going in the net would probably get pretty annoying don't you think like I, I understand that I mean you've gone and you've been scrum before Kipper maybe not to the same level as as uh Matthew or sorry as Marner every day but like having a bunch of guys who you know Maybe not aren't uh, athletes. Maybe that putting a little kindly, but guys who are just sitting there and saying, "Hey, why is it not going in?" would probably get your back up too. I would probably react the exact same way. No. Well, there's a there's a real feeling of uh, wash, rinse, and repeat. Yeah. And what happens is that every game that he doesn't score a point, every game uh, the, the uh, drought goes longer, uh, adds adds weight to it, and that's that's all that's happened real early here, but. With Matthews coming back and, and the real feel that it, it just kind of shifts everybody into a, a more natural, proper place, including Marner's game, the points are going to come. They've well, always come for well, him even at la- any level. Right. Even last year, you know, the conversation around Marner was that, hey, guess what? He's living up to the contract. He's, you know, he's scoring at a 100-point pace. I think the conversation around him was really changing towards the end of the regular regular season like don't don't you guys kind of agree with that I don't think there was nearly as much vitriol and then it goes back to the playoffs and he's no good in the playoffs he shoots it over the glass a few times doesn't really produce and it's just you know now his regular as much. season doesn't even matter yeah, right? exactly but I thought towards the end of the regular season last year the conversation around him was changing because of just how prolific his production was with Matthews it just seems that now it's just you know Every game that the puck doesn't go in the net, it just builds and builds and builds, and he just is sick of talking about it. And I completely understand. Look, I'm not a Marner defender. I've never really, you know, going back to his London night days, I've never been a huge fan of Mitch Marner. But listen. What, why is that? I, I don't understand. Because he's, he's an Owen Sound guy, I, well, that's because, why. No, because he's I, one, he's I, can't stand the, I can't stand the London Knights. The London Knights are is. my least favorite franchise and maybe all of sports. Uh, Owen Sound native. Why? Because they're too good? They yeah, win they, all yeah, the time? Yeah, they beat the wheels off my hometown team every year. That's why I hate them so much. <laughs> oh, Sammy the scrappy underdog. <laughs> yeah, I hate the Yankees. Yeah. yeah. Hate the Cowboys in their heyday. Nah, don't really care about them any, as much. But any, any, any powerful team that, that wins... Yeah, so that's why I didn't really love Marner coming in. But listen, he produces for the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's good. He can wash away all those narratives for everyone. All it is is playoff success, fellas. That's what it comes down to with Leafs Nation at this but point. But it's not just that. How He needs to talk with Morgan Riley and be like, how do you do this? 
How are you like invisible in plain sight? Morgan Riley is on the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's not even in the all or nothing documentary. He's a leader on the team. He's not even yeah. mentioned among right. the core. Okay. If Morgan's making 10.9, the heat's turned he's, up. He's sucking his thumb <laughs> on the bathroom floor right now. Okay. All right. All right. So that's, no, that's a it's good point. Just, it's that simple. Just money. It's just, just money. So this Morgan's is at five. Yeah. Morgan's left alone at five million on the last year of his deal. How about TJ Brody? Doesn't anyone ever talk to that guy? Five million, I guess, is still the we don't need to talk to this guy level. When when you when you look around the league and you see Seth Jones and what Chicago's getting out of him right now, and that start, I feel a lot more comfortable being TJ Brody, Brody making right now. five and just kind of. Oh, um, no one look at me. With the exception of me and my bank manager, <laughs> everybody is hating it right now. Yeah, that's a, well, uh, you know what? I'd love to be that guy. I know everyone says that, but it sounds okay to be the guy everyone hates who gets rich. Well, we got tomorrow and then the San Jose Sharks on Friday, Pittsburgh on Saturday. So a little more Leafs before we move on to uh, Leafs division, shall we? Sure. Um, one guy that uh, I still think the jury's out on is Kasha for me. Mm-hmm. And we saw him take a, a shot, a puck to the foot Monday night. Uh, I don't think he practiced uh, the other day. Nope. But a lot of people were sold that at 1.25 that this was going to be a great signing. And Sheldon, of course, spoke very highly of him during training camp. But... Ultimately, is 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 this guy just one of those guys that's going to be penciled in on the third line, and and what do you ultimately get out of him? Because so far, I I often watch games, JB, and my first thought is, which guys would I like to play against, mm-hmm. and which guys would I go, nah, maybe it, it would make a, l- a longer night for me. Kasha's is the kind of guy that I watch. I go, I'd like to play against that guy. Right. What's hard to handle? What's hard to handle? L- little uh, highly skilled guy, skates a lot, but I think. Not like one of those highly skilled guys, though, that you're like, ah, I don't want to be out there with. Touch soft for, soft for me. Yeah. Well, I think he wants to play with an edge, but he gets hurt. <laughs> so that maybe that would give me a little bit of pause, I think, in, in terms of style. You know, that's. You know, that's the question is, what is he going to be for this team? And I can see him playing in that third line spot. If he kills penalties, he plays physical and he, you know, if he chips in here and there, lovely. I don't think you're getting the guy who's going to score 20 goals for Anaheim. Everyone's pretty in love with what that was for Kasha. You know, it's kind of a theme with these guys. What are you doing when you're not scoring? Because I I don't think you, you count on Kasha to do that. So you're right. He's not, he's not in any direction overpowering or intimidating or fast. He's just, he's fine. And According to the Chicago Blackhawks, the camp is everything that you you think he was coming in in terms of the face-off guy and uh, a guy that can munch some minutes in, in the center ice position, but he can't score. He has got no offensive uh, capacity whatsoever. That was the word coming out of Chicago. And just watching him a little bit on Monday night, there, there seemed to be a, a sense that he's trying to beat guys when he really shouldn't try to beat guys or put it through their feet, go around them. He, I think he tries, but 
there just doesn't seem to be any upside offensive offensively with you know, this guy. Th- but at least you know what he's going to do for the team. You know, like we've had this conversation with Richie and Kasha now where we're like, what would you say you do here? Uh, for for Kampf, it's pretty clear, right? He's going to win faceoffs. He's going to exist uh, for D-zone starts, sticks in lanes. You know, he's got good speed for a guy who's defensively focused. So at least he has an identity. And I like that. And it's an identity the Leafs need. So uh, count me on Team team Kampf. All right. Yeah. I'm not sold okay. either. But oh. uh, <laughs> I just wish there was a, a little bit more oomph. Uh, out of them yeah. a little bit more of you know just show that you could do something stupid every once in a while <laughs> you know you yeah. don't have to do it in 2021 but you can kind of give people the sense that uh ooh, you know i, I love will, the loose I look factor. over my shoulder that's bill Guerin for me guy great player whatever but you know he'd snap once in a while snapping still good in this game sure <laughs> let people know you'll fly off the handle all right you got anything on kerfoot but which is very indicative of his play so far. All right. Let's, <laughs> let's move on. So, Sammy, I'll bring you in this. Does the Montreal Canadiens at 0-4 kind of ease what happened in the first round for Leaf fans a tiny bit? Is there any joy at all no. of watching Worse. Mark Bergevin have a press conference after four games to calm the waters. That's got to be first. All-time early presser. Now, it, honestly, like, and this is a, a common theme that I'm getting a lot of for, from a lot of my friends is, you know, how did we lose to them? You know, I know they don't have Carey Price. I know they don't have Shea Weber. Those are two pretty big factors. But it just, it's largely a pretty similar team to the one they lost to. And it's just, how did that happen? And that's the, con- I, it doesn't make me feel any better because you can't really chirp the Habs. If you're a Leafs fan, what can you say to a Habs fan? Oh, yeah, you're, you got a crappy start. It's like, yeah, you blew a 3-1 series lead to us, and, and then the conversation's over. So I'm not taking a ton of pride, and it sucks for them. I think it's great for, you know, the media market to be able to talk about it, to have some fun at their expense, but I don't think it really makes Leaf fans feel any better at all. Come on. Some, <laughs> some got to be loving it. For sure. Well, I, listen, I'm happy they started 0-4, not 4-0. Like, I'm not going to say I'm not, yeah. you know, happy about it, but it doesn't really make me feel a lot better about last season. They're two, two completely different things. They've scored three goals, Justin. You're you're the numbers guy in, in four games, and everybody had a guy like Cole Caulfield pegged for the the Calder Trophy, Rookie of the Year. I think he's got a dozen shots on goal, but there is no offense. There's no flair. There is nothing no. up front for the Montreal Canadiens. I don't know that there's a positive kipper because there's no defense either. They are, you know, we expected the Arizona Coyotes to be like laughing stock, worst team in the league. They're minus 10 in goal differential. The Habs are minus 12. Like they're far, they're the worst team in the NHL so far by that metric. It's so three goals. They're not getting effort on the defensive side of the puck. Uh, not great. Getting great goaltending. You know what I think is one of the sneaky losses here. We know about Weber and we know about price, but I, you know, some people would make the case Weber was in decline and Price is kind of a playoff guy anyway, is the loss of Philip Deneau really hurts this team. You know why? Puts a lot of pressure on Nick Suzuki. All of a sudden, Deneau is not playing the top competition on the other side. You know, he's Deneau is not getting the top pair D. That's Nick Suzuki, a guy who wasn't pouring pucks in the net before. Uh, this season, he's in the bottom 10 in the NHL in, in chances for, uh, per 60 if you're interested in such things. Um, but just not creating anything, just a you know a handful of shots. He's getting buried, just getting buried this year. And part of it is because Deneau's not there to do that heavy lifting. And just the opposite 
from what you just said in LA. Think about the uh, the pressure on Suzuki and now some of the pressure that's alleviated off of Kopitar in LA. Great point. All of a sudden, Kopitar is not in his D zone all the time because Dano is, and, and who, he's Hall of Famer. Who, who got off to a great start this <laughs> he, season? He leading the league in scoring. He's awfully close. Yeah, he's tied for first with uh, Connor McDavid. 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 I don't I know. Ninety yeah. something. Ninety. What yeah. number is he again? I don't know. He's good. Edmonton. Edmonton guy. Mark Bergevin went on record today and said they won't make any major changes. No, I don't feel the need. It has nothing to do with cap space. It has to do with the group we have. Uh, and uh, just to make a change, just to make a change. And I, I do like our team. You know, there's some pretty good hockey players downstairs that are not playing up to their potential. And until they do, uh, there's nothing that I'm going to do to make a change, just to make a change, change a fourth-line player, just to say making a change. I, I don't believe in that. I'm not sure I buy that. No. There, what I buy is there. There is no change that could save this lineup. <sighs> That's bleak. And it, it speaks a little bit to you, like with Carey Price, with Shea Weber, with Philip Deneau, with Edmondson on the blue line. Mm-hmm. You still finished 18th last year. Right. 18th overall. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's go- not, it's not a powerhouse they're here they're that gone. fell apart. The, the, they're all gone. Look, those are big names. Mm-hmm. They're guys that can give your team a different feel. Weber, of course, was not the Weber that we knew five or six years ago in Nashville, but still one hell of a presence. Yeah. Gone. And now you've replaced them with Dvorak. Mm-hmm. Adam Brooks. <laughs> and you really think you're a playoff team? Who in their right mind would look at that lineup this summer? Forget about what you, we've seen in four games. Mm-hmm. Who could look at that roster and go, that's a playoff team? And it was just thing is, we JB. did that before playoffs last year. I agree with you for what it's worth, but we did the same thing going into playoffs. And everybody got f- bought the fool's gold because they went to a final. Yeah. I mean, the two years ago, they were 24th in the league or something. I think it was 24th. And technically never made the playoffs. They were in that qualifying right. first round. In that way, yeah. So uh, let's go back a few years ago. Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Remember they were a goal away from a Stanley Cup final? Against Pittsburgh, right? Double overtime. Kunitz. Chris Kunitz. Yeah. Okay. How how close did we think that they were to a Stanley Cup because they got they were a goal away from a Stanley Cup final? How, how close did we think they were or they think they were? <laughs> Everybody. Yeah. They weren't close. They weren't close. Montreal, Stanley Cup final. Not really that close. Good run. A lot of things have to go right. And most importantly, you had the best goalie in the world. Yeah. That that covers it. Papers over a lot of blemishes, doesn't it? Really does. Yeah. And when you got a guy like Gallagher saying, all we need is one to win. 
with this guy. Yeah. That tells you everything you need to know of how valuable Carey Price was in that run. And now you look at this lineup, and this lineup is the main reason why the owner, Jeff Molson, hasn't granted Bergevin a new contract, the one he wants. Not the one that Molson's willing to give him, mm-hmm. but the one that Bergevin wants. When he looks down that roster, he goes, not so fast. Yeah. You know, the one thing with Bergevin is he has believed in this team. He's believed in them through and through. He believed in them last year going into playoffs. When they won, you know, we talked about him being down on the bench, hugging every player on the team. You know, finally, prove it right, vindicated. He knew this was the team. Yeah, you know, I... I kind of feel like he still feels that way. So when he says that he doesn't want to tinker with the fourth line, I feel like a part of him still believes in this group. What catches my eye is like, there was a back check on the, uh, the second shark school yesterday where Dvorak and Anderson are coming back to their own end and just no hustle, no shoulder check. What got this team to overachieving was a defensive consistency that they just don't have. And maybe it's Weber, that leadership to be like, Hey, we need to fall in, into our spots. We need, you know, if you're not going to be a part of this, he's the ultimate buy-in guy. Jeff Petrie was in the, you know, uh, in the, had a presser yesterday. Uh, Derek, I don't know if you got the uh, the Petrie clip to play. The, here's what he had to say about it. Uh, I mean, it's frustrating. We're four games into the year, and we've played two games like that. Half of our games have been no effort, just so, yeah, it's frustrating. I think, uh, I think it's a safe thing to say when you when you struggle like that. That the effort. first thing you you point to is effort. But you don't want to say we're just not good enough. <laughs> That's a good point. It, it, what, it's what really it's really what he's supposed to say. A roster that we just can can't try hang. the hell out of this. We're still not that good. Yeah, you know who's to blame for us being down five right. nothing? Burge. <laughs> you know, you imagine if he came right. out and said that, like. Whew. It's not effort when I see that lineup. It's lack of talent, lack of star players. And we can look at Jonathan Drouin and and say that he is not he's not a front line go to guy. He will fifty, sixty if, points, second line, take and, that. And, and wouldn't that career. be terrific? That's his spot. Uh, he's a secondary support guy. So is Josh Anderson when it's all said and done. And we're not sure where Nick Suzuki falls in. Right. That's still, we're not sure. He might be a first line center. He probably is. Or he could be a great second one on a contending team. But to probably the same as second line. Another support guy. Gallagher is uh, playing with Jake Evans and Adam Brooks and you know, the rest of that on the third line. Lean, lean. For a guy like that making 6-5. Gallagher on a cup contending team would fall into that third line. Six, six to nine forward. Yeah. Still, they should be, they should use him more and better, I still think. He's a, if you're complaining about effort so. and pulse, like, okay, give him, you know, give him a couple of guys who can go. Create something, get to the net. You know, Caulfield might be, well, I guess they're both right wingers, but no, he, he, this is not the line for him. And the other thing that must 
drive Jeff Molson crazy in the last little while is watching the Carolina Hurricanes come into your kitchen and make the biggest ham sandwich. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a lot of ham. It's a lot of ham. Yeah. Twice. Twice. Yeah. Tom Dundon comes in and the Yahoo deal was great. Twice Bergevin was on the defense. He didn't get Sebastian Ajo because Carolina decided they're going to match mm-hmm. a very matchable contract. And it's Carolina that decides for you that you're going to give up Kotkaniemi. That wasn't Bergevin deciding. That was Dundon. Yeah, that was Carolina saying, you can't afford 6.1. I'm making the decision for you. And that is not a good thing. Now, Kukinemi, regardless, regardless if you think he's worth 6.1 or he'll be a, a good player, a great player, or a below average player, to me is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. What matters is I'm the friggin' Montreal Canadiens. He's my prospect. He's my pick. I'll decide when he's no friggin' good, and I'll decide when I want to get rid of him. Mm-hmm. Not you. And yet, Bergman made Carolina decide for him that he's done with Kaki and Emmy. That's 0 for 2 against Mark Bergevin. That is a not a good look on him or the Montreal Canadiens. So I'm curious about like what what becomes of this because the you know we've had the conversation he doesn't have a contract extension with the Canadians. You know, we've have heard that he had the option to if he wanted to, but to your point I think you were implying that it wasn't the contract he wanted if they were if he was going to sign another one. When when you've watched guys like Chris Drury come in with no record at all and you hear he's making anywhere between 4.5 and 5 million dollars and uh, others now are in that ballpark, and you are in what would one be of the league average for a GM two three. I I would probably say two and a half. Yeah, two and a half. But if you've got a a, a decent track record, like a Doug Armstrong, then you could Doug Armstrong. I heard twenty twenty five million over five somewhere in that ballpark. Seems reasonable. Win a Stanley Cup. Hundred percent, and. And a lot of a lot of players. And more than we that. we know we know the pressure that Bergevin has felt in the last year. So, I think he's okay for sticking around, and he mentioned that. And I, I what was the what was the comment today about being being back? Did he say in a perfect world? Oh, Sam, what was it? Was yeah, it, was, was it the perfect said, world? Yeah, he said in a perfect world. In a I perfect would be back, world, where I get paid all the money. Sam, in the world. let me ask you something. Yes. How perfect is your world? Because I'm telling you, my mine ain't even close. Well, anybody in this room have a perfect world? Well, the fact they get to hang out with you two boys every day is hey, pretty close to perfect. It's good, but it J- ain't perfect. <laughs> JB's telling me last night Sportsnet kept them till like 1:30 in the morning. <laughs> he was up. Right. He was up 5 a.m. with his kid. 
That don't that doesn't sound like a perfect world to me. <laughs> no, I need, I could use seven or eight hours. That'd be good. So where where uh, where does Mark Bergevin think he's getting the perfect world to come back? I think he knows it's not going to be perfect, and that's an excuse. That's a that's an out. That's the off ramp for whenever it does happen. It's just, I, if it gets bad enough, it'll happen this season, right? In season. If if I'm Jeff Molson and, and is we're, it bad enough we're, yet? We're oh four. Uh, like, how many can you spot the division? Do you think? Why would you let? Why would you let Mark Bergman take this right to the very end? Like, wouldn't you want? If you think you're not signing him, or he will, he won't lower his demands. Then, just rip the bandaid off now. You know what? I couldn't agree more. Like, you're going to be making decisions about the personnel. You've had control of the team for eight or nine years. The team is not good. I want the next person making our next decision and start healing sooner. ASAP. Right? Yeah. Should we give some love around the division? Uh, does our show go to into Buffalo? <laughs> any, anyone listen, listening out there? Are you uh, you going to suck up to Buffalo now? Imagine sucking up to Buffalo now. <laughs> Here's what I'll say about the Sabres. No one is at... I don't even think Sabres fans think the Sabres are good. That's not the takeaway. No one's going to be like, we were all wrong. Like, but they, they got off to a good start against some pretty mediocre to bad teams. So good for them. Enjoy it. It's great. Kyle Oposo is a wonderful person. Did you see uh, Skinner's backhand? Oh, my God. Okay. From his knees. Do, do, you not forget, down backhand. do you not forget that that guy is making nine? No, he's not. Is he not? Yeah, it is nine, isn't it? Oh, my God. <laughs> I mean, Take I, a I look. I knew I knew it was a lot. I forgot it was that ball. Can you imagine Skinner in this market playing in Toronto? Oh boy. Oh boy. He makes nine million until twenty twenty six, twenty twenty seven. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot of chicken wings. <laughs> Anchor bars making money. He's twenty nine years old too. Like he's he's got years left. He's a young man. They did. They did beat Anaheim and a very leaky Montreal Canadiens and the Canucks. They beat the Coyotes, not Anaheim. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Not Anaheim. Coyotes. Co- all right. Which is a lot less impressive, unfortunately. <laughs> I would say a lot less. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Speaking of leaky, yeah. so it's it's not like. But hey, take it while you can. Yeah. They've had a couple of bad losing streaks. Last few years. When's it too many wins and you're looking at the draft going, okay, let's uh, let's still finish at the bottom of the league here or thereabouts. Uh, Detroit 2-0-1. Ottawa 2-1. Is this like Freaky Friday start to the NHL where yeah. like everything's upside down? I wonder if there's anything to the idea that teams that went far in the playoffs last year, like they are doing worse like just in terms of points, Islanders are off to a really slow start. They're one and two. Colorado is one and two. Vegas is one and one. Boston, oh, they've only played one game. But like a lot of the teams that went far last year struggling and the, the conference is up. Sorry, the league is upside down right now. That's all it is. Well, good on Tony Granado as well because yes. you, you can never find anyone to say a bad thing about this guy. He has been around for a very long time. He's paid his dues and... No one gave him half a chance. They still got Eichel out there that they got to deal with. But, hey, for, for a week and a half, they'll take it.
It's a perfect world. Yeah, you asked who's who living in a, in a perfect world. Tony Granado's living in a perfect world. All right, plenty more coming up on the Real Kipper and Bourne Show. We've got Aaron Ward, former NHLer, and now currently with Edge Tracking and anal, an uh, analytic guy. Another one. I'm surprised to hear that. I Great. can't shake them. It's Justin Bourne, Nick Kiprios, Real Kipper and Bourne. We got Aaron Ward coming up. Get into all those big contracts. He was a defenseman. Yeah. I think he did okay. He did better than I did, Kipper. I can tell you that. (laughs) So, Wardo did about, what, uh, 14, 15 million his career? Yeah, we we were talking D contracts. I did pull it up. $14 million in career earnings for Aaron Ward. I think he's just fine. (laughs) Way better than my measly. What'd you make? Two, three, four? Three. Three? That's not bad. You know what? It's a good start. That's all <laughs> it is. A good start to life. When you factor in cost of living, expenses. Also, that's probably over what? Eight years or? Yeah. You know, it's not like you had a. Did you have a day? Did you get a signing bonus? Like one day where you just put something in your account? For the record, yeah. my father-in-law, Clark Gillies, said one day. Uh, I think his rookie year, he bought a house, a Jaguar, and a dog on the same day. <laughs> He's looking at me going, what are you doing with my daughter in your life? And I was like, uh, it's, it's been a slower process. I, I had me. a signing bonus of 10 grand, and I left the Flyer uh, training camp with this contract and a $10,000 signing bonus. I'm like, wow, I can buy a new bike. A bike. A bike. <laughs> Everyone's I wasn't green. thinking big. Yeah. Wardo, what was your signing bonus? Okay, so it's going to date me. It was 25000 bucks, and I bought a pouch phone. <laughs> <laughs> so Hold on, here's, here's the scary part. So the, 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 the phone, I think, at the time cost like seven or 800 bucks, and, it, and it, I, got a, I got a Jeep Cherokee, a Grand Cherokee. This is like 1993, and the dealer's like, hey, we got these newfangled uh, contraptions. They're, they're like phones. You can put them in your car. I'm like, okay, great. So seven, 800 bucks to pay for it. Well, at that time, it was like, I don't know, like, Two fifty a minute. So here I am. I get sent down, to sent down to the sent down to the miners, and I get a call from my financial guy in like November, December. He's like, "Hey, we've gone through your bonus just in airtime. You, you, you ruined it all." So. Oh man! Wow, that's some serious roaming. Wait, so what year are you we talking about? Mid late nineties. 1993. Yeah. So it's not like there were cell towers in Glens Falls, New York to begin with. So I was probably picking them up out of Albany. So that was probably an extra charge. So roaming was like a, it, it was costly. So, and it's not like I was calling people of, of relevance back then. I was, I mean, you know, maybe a buddy, but mostly my parents checking on me. So I went back to the rotary phone in the house I was renting. <laughs> It was all those one eight hundred numbers that that killed you. You know that, no, right? No, hey, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. This is this is this is a true story, man. I'm in like grade six or seven, and someone gives me a one eight hundred joke line. Yeah, I'm on this thing for hours, <laughs> like getting jokes left, right, and center, and then the bill comes at the end of the month. It was oh, like no. a full mortgage payment. The, 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 uh, it was, the Greek restaurant uh, oh. couldn't afford the... Uh, Why did I think 1-800-JOKES were for, like, free? I don't know. Times have changed. Listen, if, if, if you could come back and, and still play the same position that you did your whole career, I think you'd do a lot better uh, with the signing bonus. 
Oh, nowadays? Yes, I nowadays. Mean, okay, so league minimum. League minimum. I didn't heat, hit the league minimum that is currently set until like the sixth or seventh year of my contract. Yeah. So... So what do you what do you think currently? What do you think when you see some of these deals uh, around the NHL, like Seth Jones getting nine point five million a year? What are your thoughts about that deal? Uh, it's it's security for an organization of projecting out that you you want to maintain that security. Like so, the idea that that teams are coming to their players now and approaching the idea. Well, for me, the biggest surprise is that Ottawa took so long with Kachuk. I thought the teams are going to start erring on the side of the Suzuki. Like, go to a player. If you feel like he's in your future, lock him up, right? You, uh, imagine that with the Turner deal and the ESPN deal and, and the rights deals around and, and now advertisements, HRR is going to be there. Think ahead. Continue to, to, to assume the cap's going to go up and start locking in the key components because of the fact that as we, as we start to go into the future in contracts, we start to look at what happened with Coke and Yemi. Right, teams will start poaching if there's an asset out there that they really, really want. There's enough recent history of guys kind of infringing on other other teams' players that that I believe I believe that that's going to happen a little bit more. So I think it's a little reactionary to maybe what happened with uh, Carolina and Montreal, and a lot to do with knowing that these guys don't grow on trees, and there's a lot of investment put into some of these players to get them where they are, and you don't want to lose them for nothing. Chicago was supposed to have a better look to start the season. They're one of the worst uh, in giving up goals early uh, with the likes of, I guess, uh, Seattle and Arizona. Uh, but when you factor in Seth Jones and Mark andre Fleury, you're expecting uh, a good start here. And, you know, analytic-wise, I'll go to you, JB, first, and then, uh, Aaron, you tell me, but is is this guy not as good as as I thought, because analytic-wise, they tell me his numbers are horrible. Yeah, you know, I can't speak to his entire career, but last year uh, and this year, this season so far, he's off to a pretty poor start. The team is in general, so I'm sure, you know, anyone who's playing a lot of minutes is going to look bad, but so far, you know, his scoring chance numbers are are not uh, not not great. Wardo, you, I noticed you've got some uh, uh, edge tracking and analytics on the resume now. Is this something you're looking into? Well, so I, I actually don't have any numbers in front of me, but I, I did, in fact, sit and watch the ESPN presentation yesterday of the game, and I couldn't get over the, the minutes immediately for, for Jones and McCabe. And I, I don't see anything that jumps off the screen to me that tells me that Jones, at the, at the, the dollar value that he has in, in Chicago, leads you to believe that this is going to really right the ship. I thought Fleury was going to be more of an impact than the defensive turnaround for the Chicago Blackhawks systematically I don't know what they run like I sat there for a while so my role yesterday as I'm sitting in SMT's control booth was I was helping them look at video packages and 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 actually was pushing it back to ESPN and one of the things is I, as I was watching I realized like in the defensive zone if you think about the second goal against they had three guys below the goal line in the defensive end it's not like they're actually playing a system mm-hmm. it's like a running gun get it and go and so I don't know if if Fleury is in there as almost like, uh, you know, here, um, hang on your own and, and figure out what you can do, and hopefully we'll provide you some support. But Chicago still, seriously is, is disastrous for me in the defensive zone still. And Seth Jones, one player doesn't do the whole thing. I, it's it's got to be a sum-of-the-parts mentality for Chicago. They've got enough offense there. They just haven't put it together from a, from a system standpoint. Well, in 
Connor Murphy minus six already, uh, and he's he's earning a, a pretty good buck here. But uh, Calvin DeHaan, I, I, some of these names here, uh, it just doesn't look like a, a playoff blue line just yet for Stan Bowman. No, it, there's there's got to be more there. I, I don't know. It, it's kind of the same situation I think you would compare with Montreal. It's At some point, you've got to look to the front end and say, you guys got to come back and help out. There, there has to be, uh, you have to let go of some of the, your aspirations to be offensively you know, gifted and, and, and that be your approach to the game and come back and play a more sound, disciplined style in, in your defensive zone. It was proven last year in the playoffs, and Kipper, you and I got on and, and we were talking on Instagram last year during the playoffs, that the turnaround for Montreal was finally they, they, they showed a level of patience in how they approached the game when Toronto ran them around the zone. They finally accepted the fact they've just got to stay in it for as long as possible. I think Chicago has to adopt that mentality, too. They've got offensive power. You can't run and gun every single night. You can't outscore your mistakes every single night, and that's what's happening with Chicago currently is they're getting themselves at a deficit and not able to dig themselves out of that hole. And Fleury, Fleury's an answer in that. Like I didn't, Where they are now in that compared to where they have been over the last few years, I'm – Far more confident in Flurry. In fact, I picked him as my possible Vesna. Might regret that now, but uh, the guy is going to put them at, at a, in a better position in the defensive zone. But you can't just leave the guy in an island to, to fend for himself, and that's what's happening in Chicago early on. We are speaking with Aaron Ward, former NHLer, now currently with Edge Tracking and Analytics. Uh, Wardo, I'm not sure if you got a chance to listen to Mark Bergevin, general manager of Montreal, uh, speak uh, to the oh, pu- yeah. public today. Uh, you played with what five different teams in, in the National Hockey League? How many of those teams did the general manager have to come out after four games to calm the waters? Well, I, I think it's it's a, a symptom of having gone to the Stanley Cup. I think it's it's the market that is volatile in Montreal, as volatile as it is in Toronto. Right, there's high expectations, and an artificial ceiling was set by Montreal last year. Going to the Stanley Cup Finals, everybody assumed that there would be a level of success to the regular season. The problem, if you really take a step back, whether you're a Montreal fan or you're just an overall NHL fan, that of the 20 guys that have got in this year to play for the Montreal Canadiens, there's eight of them that didn't have a minute, a game, in the playoffs last year or were even on the roster. So if, if you take the actual correct perspective, this is not the same team as last year. And I haven't even talked about Carey Price. So Carey Price is not in there. You've got a whole group of guys that are having to reassimilate and, and figure out who they are, what the identity of this team is, and, and they're doing it without that confidence and the certainty that comes with having an all-world goalie. Carey Price was horrible in the regular season last year, and he turned it around on a dime and was incredible for the playoffs. That's not there anymore. Jake Allen is a pretty good option, but he's not Carey Price. So for a, for a GM to come out, it's almost kind of deflating the pressure in the balloon by coming out and announcing that Shea Weber may never play in the National Hockey League again. That's something for everybody to chew on. It's Bergman taking some of the pressure off a coaching staff who's trying to figure out exactly how it is you've only scored three goals in four games and that you've given up 15. And how is it that this is the case? Is that you've got so many new faces that, that don't replace the, the, the value or the components that you had during the playoff run. 
That makes a lot of sense. The, um, you know, one thing we've been doing when we've been having guests on this show is we, we are a Maple Leaf show. So we wanted, we wanted to yep. keep a little focus on, on the Leafs and then get your opinion on whether you believe in this team. I mean, do you think this, this Toronto Maple Leafs team looks any different than the previous iterations that have fallen short? Is there something here you like or don't like? Uh, well, I'll say this. I, I think from the perspective, like, so you, you asked about analytics. So, Currently, Toronto right now has 53% perception, uh, possession, mm-hmm. and they're only shooting five, uh, 4.6% five-on-five. I imagine that will get better both in, as the season goes on and the fact that Matthews has come back to play. Right, yeah. So w- there's an expectation there. There's a 60% uh, expected goals, and they have the most high-danger scoring, uh, high scoring chances in the league. They're going to create offense. My only concern is defensively, for me, as I watch Toronto play, and I've got quite an exposure, like I'm, I'm watching more games because I'm sitting in this room nonstop watching all the Canadian games. Toronto, to me, hasn't identified themselves as a superior team defensively. I think they're still working as we talk about Chicago. Toronto does have the ability to outscore their mistakes. And I think that that's what bit them in, in the playoffs last year, and they get by in the regular season with that. So... The, the goaltending from, from Campbell and Morazic has to be pretty good, and the decor has to really stop gap. But overall, a defensive mentality for the, for the Toronto Maple Leafs has to develop if, if this young team wants to make that impact in the playoffs. So I'm, I'm a believer that this is an opportunity in the regular season for the Toronto Maple Leafs to figure out who they are, different than they were last year, right. and try and make some uh, adapt- adaptations to the defensive system. But, I, again, I need more of a body of work to, to see that. Uh, Rasmus Sundin is, is a guy that continues young player, a, f- a first rounder a few years ago is slowly developed and, and you see such upside offensively. Uh, but still to your point, yeah. sh- uh, the defensive side of the game, which you know very well throughout your career, that, that just does not come overnight for some of these kids, eh? Just can you defend the difference between a great offensive player playing 12 minutes a night and 18? Correct me if I'm wrong, Wardo, is if you can defend. If you can defend, and I think that's one of the one of the reasons, if you look back at the playoffs last year, in the first round, Montreal, Toronto, why Toronto? I'm sorry, Montreal didn't play Romanov. He, he couldn't defend. Right. And he definitely could not defend the potent lineup that Toronto had. So smart play with Sandine is to have him with Dermot, is to have him with a partner that will be a backstop, a level of confidence that even though you make a mistake, you'll have somewhere to be positionally sound to, to, to mop up for you or just to know you can take greater chances. The biggest difficulty for a young defenseman in the National Hockey League, and, and I was not in a skilled position, but I was in a, in a position to have to defend, is when you're in your zone, there's a level of maturity that comes with almost absorbing what players do. Not just an individual player, if, you're, if the skill set is there, but also cumulatively of what a team does on the ice. And over time, it's almost like a, a Rolodex. You know, you, 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 you learn to expect and understand what's coming at you. So over my career, I mean, I got burned so many times by Ovi. That's how I learned. I learned about his take you wide, or if he dropped his shoulder, it was in fact a fake and he caught across the middle. And, and it took me far into my career to, to figure that out, at least four or five years of playing against Ovechkin. And I believe me, I didn't get on the ice a lot against him. But so for a young guy like Sandine, he's got he's to get a baptism by fire experience of getting out against these guys and understanding who you can take chances against, 
and who you can't and what teams will really burn you and, and other teams that you can get away with things against. Yeah. He's, he's such a smart player. I could see him, you know, learning, okay, I need to play a certain way against this guy and that guy. Just, you know, to Kipper's point in the early going, there have been you know moments where you're like, God, I want him on the ice all the time until he doesn't have the puck. So he's a, he's a tough one yeah, to figure yeah, out. And you're, right. He, and, and his skill set, right. Over time, you don't want to tell a kid, like adapt your skill set to the team you're playing against. You want him to find the consistency in his game, but sometimes that comes with the confidence of the opponent and how you feel playing against that opponent. I felt completely different in, in the nineties when I was younger and I was playing against Colorado Avalanche and I knew there was potential, I might get stuck out in a shift against Forsberg and Sackick. In fact, I had an experience one time where I got changed out there and I heard Scotty yell from the bench to Dave Lewis, the D coach, are you trying to lose the game for us? And I immediately got off. But, but those, those, those are the things like they, they come with time that you, you, you capitalize on the opportunities against the weaker teams to, to, be a little more forceful, a little more confident in your game, and then learn against the tougher games as a defenseman how to, how to draw back and, and play a sound and non-noticeable game. And sometimes for a defenseman, not being noticed is a great game for you. Well, you just you just said it for defense. It, it comes with time, but guess what? The Leafs don't have it. They got to win now. Is there like a, a crash course, Wardo, <laughs> that you can give Sandine on, of, like in a weekend? Well, the, the funny thing for me as I look at it is that if anybody on that D core is going to kind of under, you know, put him under his wing, it's going to be Muzzin, right? If, if he's had enough experience, I had guys over the course of my career come to me, and, and it wasn't like a warning capacity, but they'd walk into a game and say, hey, and, you know, give, give a, keep an eye out for this. And in Detroit, the longest time was Larry Murphy, which I know is a four-letter word in, in Toronto. But Murph came to the Detroit Red Wings – and, and he'd remind me of certain things because guess what? Murph wasn't exactly the fleetest of foot, but if you were sound positionally, you wouldn't get noticed. If anything can happen for, for Sandine, it would be Muzzin stepping in and saying, hey, these are the things to keep an eye out. And, and they, they might be highly noticeable or they might be really discreet things about the game, but those small pieces are, are what allow you to be successful as a defenseman is taking care of the small details. Or it's funny hearing you talk about the Leafs before, and you mentioned their, um, you know, shooting percentage and even expected goals and possession, all that sort of stuff. It is, um, you know, interesting to hear that come from a former NHLer. You know, Rasmus Sandin is actually a guy who leads the Toronto Maple Leafs in a lot of those like possession metrics. What has changed in your view of of in terms of analytics? Like, how do you look at the game differently through learning some of this stuff? Do you value it more or less? Uh, what's changed for you there? Okay, so I kind of have to set up. So I work for the company, uh, name is SMT, Sports Media Technology, and um, we are the player and puck tracking system for the National Hockey League. Mm. Edge is a higher level, and it's the analytics platform for, for, for teams and, and the league. What I've learned from a player for the longest time, so when I sat in broadcast and I was first approached back in like 2013, hey, what do you think about presenting analytics? It, it, was, it was like a plague. I didn't want to touch it. Because the truth is, as a hockey player, I didn't want to value myself based on a number, especially if I didn't understand what that number meant. So when you hear hockey players nowadays say, I put no value in it, that's because you probably don't understand it. The truth is, if you get a level of comprehension as a hockey player of what analytics mean and which ones are relevant for you, they don't all have to be relevant to you, but some can aid you in your performance that if you understand, if someone says, if you eat right and you get good sleep, you'll perform better. 
Well, someone comes up to me and says, hey, if you study a little and understand these numbers, even if it's about the opponent, where they end up scoring, where the possession usually occurs, I can adapt my game and be better prepared for how I play. If I'm a scorer and I know, hey, listen, I light it up from this general area on the ice, I'm going to try and find my way to that general area and, and get my numbers up higher. So where it's gone for me, I put equal value as a player. I like, I like the eye test. Everybody's like, oh, you know, you had to play the game. No. Numbers have a story to tell. If I look at something on the ice and I believe something, I think you can then go to the numbers and say to yourself, do the numbers support what I see? If they do, I feel more confident that what I see is true. If they contradict each other, that causes me an opportunity as, as not, a, not a mathematician, not a statistician, not a, not a data analyst to go back and say, why? And it, and it makes, allows me to rethink things. So the, the value... I like to place on both is is equal, and and I have a good number of data scientists. Actually, we have a data science office science office out of Toronto that I lean on them all the time to educate me. Those numbers I just gave you was from our data science office, and I had them explain to me some of the things that, that I was discuss, talking about, and it's it's enlightening. If you get past, and this is what I had to do, I'd get past feeling stupid. If you just open your mind up and 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 don't always have to take into account every stat out there. There's a million. Take ones you want to learn about and want to know about and might might apply, you'll be further ahead. I I totally buy that, Bordo. One hundred percent. And these players, you know, whether it's today or, or my era, your era, our era, they've they've dealt with it, but they don't really even know that they've they've done it. Mm-hmm. If that makes any sense at all. Like Dale Hunter, yeah. when I first broke in with the Washington Capitals, you know his favorite line to me was chum play the percentages. And that's really what he's telling me. Same idea. Same idea. Just play the percentages. Yeah. You want to go up the middle or you want to go up the wall? Where do you think the puck's going to turn over? Whoa. Play the percentages. So we, that in itself was analytics. Yes. You're saying right. so when you talk about Sandine. Sandine is a perfect example. I had a coach in Craig Ramsey who, who sat in Boston with his notepad behind me, and he used to document where the puck was going down the boards. And I could not for the life of me as I was playing understand why. And then, he, then I started to realize he was looking for tendencies. What's the trend? Where are they trying to penetrate the zone? Where are they crossing our blue line? This is in 2007. And so now for a guy like Sandine, for someone to say we're playing this team expect a lot of traffic coming down your side. If you want to adapt your game to it, fine. If you don't and you want to take it as it comes, but at least you're aware. So I would say this, when I was in Boston with Craig Ramsey, my partner for the majority of my career was Chara. So of course, by default, they went by the slug side and that was my side. So <laughs> I got the majority of the, of the zone entry, but he used to document this. And, and nowadays I understand the guy was ahead of his, ahead of his time. Yeah, that's odd. You know, that's a tough draw. You always think that, hey, playing with Chara, that's going to be light duty, right? He's one of the best defensemen in the world, but really it just directs all the traffic your way. Tough gig. Oh, yeah. They, they, picked, they picked the plug. It was identifiable out there between the two of us, which one was the, were the, was the, uh, the easier kill. So you watching every night? Like, are, are you like me now? Got a full-time job? I, I'm, they got me here Monday through Fridays. I've never done Monday through Fridays in my life. What a sucker. <laughs> So I work on the analytics platform during the day. And then at night I go in and there's uh, I actually worked with your truck for the Saturday game. 
um, where we sit there and we have a live position where we push uh, live data to the broadcast. And then there's package video where I can take a look at, at an event and I'm trying to think of anything that I can pull up out of my mind right off the bat. But, uh, oh, it was, okay, so an example of um, uh, is Tavares in the second period had a great scoring opportunity uh, on uh, who's, who's in net for Ottawa that night? Uh, Forsberg. Forsberg. Okay. So one of the things is, so Tavares is wide open net front. We immediately can drop a distance and we can, it's either indicts the team that it happened against, which it indicted Ottawa because there was not a soul within 15 feet of Tavares standing net front. And it, and it was also an endorsement of Forsberg. So he was one-on-one with one of the best players in the National Hockey League from 10 feet out, and he made the save. And they, so they, you can show a million things with this package video. So most nights I'm sitting in this control room going over it and, and trying to help people who are not necessarily hockey fans but are technologically skilled to, to try and dissect the video and say, hey, this would be a, an interesting look at this and a different look at it because we have the, 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 basically the GPS on the puck and the players and what we can do with that and add to the video. So you can tell how far the opposition is from the guy who's getting the scoring chance. Oh, I can tell you anything in distance. I can tell you the gap. So that's where, that's where having the, uh, a tag on a player, I can tell you the guys with the best gap in the neutral zone, which from a coaching standpoint might be something that is usable between periods where I can tell a guy yeah, like put hey, it behind why they're getting such easy, yeah, z- zone entry. If a guy's way up, you're chipping in. If a guy's way off, you already know that that of the two guys, the guy with the worst gap, pick him. Go down his size. And so there's an adaptation there. The, the opponent has to counter that and say, hey, you know, I, I use an example. If you're playing with, with, with Slavin, Slavin has an incredible gap, has a long reach. You can't get down his side. If you're, the, if you're his, his partner, and generally, you know, take Jake Gardner. Jake Gardner was, was off an, an extra five feet. So I would choose to go down his side. You can show gaps. I can tell you if a puck was tipped because we got the X, Y, and Z uh, coordinates on the, on the puck. So, I mean, there's all kinds of incredible stuff. The problem is you want to find an easier entry into the, the, the people who like the way the game is. You don't want to overwhelm them with all this and say, and just have them reject it. You want to find a, an easier way to insert it into the game so it's something interesting. And so I try and get people to say, the hockey fan, especially in Canada, wants something predictive. If I line up with a face-off and, and these two guys have gone head-to-head in the, in the last two periods and this guy's dominated, if I put that up, let's see if that carries over. Just something that, that doesn't go, okay, you lost me on expected goal. Why do I care about expected goal, right? Some, some basic stuff that I can put on a screen. Thank God this data wasn't around when I would have played. I would have been sent to the minors like after the weekend. Well, it might have redeemed you. Can you imagine if they put our... Can you imagine if they put our speed up on the screen, either of us? <laughs> they, they think it was broke. They think it was like, like... There'd be an hourglass to, to time me. Kilometers an hour. Thank God. Hey, congratulations on the gig, man. It sounds like uh, it's a lot of fun. It is. It's, it's a challenge. So looking forward to, uh, to this hockey season to, to get it going. Aaron, thanks for doing this, pal. Thanks, Wardo. Anytime, guys. Appreciate it. Aaron Ward, former NHLer and now working with edge tracking and analytics, uh, providing the National Hockey League. Kipper didn't see that coming. Are you okay? You must have just loved that conversation. I eh? did. I loved every second of it, and I did not see it coming from Aaron Ward. Not, And I don't mean that as like disrespectful to Aaron Ward. I just didn't think of him as a hockey player. Yeah, don't, don't take this the wrong way, though, but he, 
he can kind of explain it in a cool way. <laughs> what, and what, what yours is, is a little... Yeah. Um, I got work to do? Pocket... Uh, with the pens and I want the, his uh, numbers. I you want know, his the numbers. pocket with the pocket pens. protector. Pocket protector. You do it with a like, yeah. with with a white coat and a pocket protector. He kind of does it a little cool. I feel like if I can swear, I can make it. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to Real Kipper and Born.